Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of The Street Theologian and this is the second of maybe six or five episodes on the different books of the Bible. Last time we talked about the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and this time I'll try to give an introduction to the prophetic books or the books of the prophets. So normally the prophets are traditionally divided between the major and the minor prophets. There are four major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, while there are 12 minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. The minor prophets are also sometimes called the 12 because there are 12 of them. And the difference between the major and the minor prophets has to do more with the length of their book rather than the degree of their significance. Although, understandably, um, the major prophets, since they're also longer, there are also different passages that um, prefer to important, um, that make important references to the faith of Israel, um, precisely because of their length. And But the major difference between the two categories is basically the length of the prophetic work or of the prophetic book because um, each of the major prophets takes up an entire parchment scroll of its own while the 12 minor prophets are all in one scroll so what is a prophet um, basically a prophet is someone who speaks in god's name serves as a mediator of god's word the word prophet comes from the greek term pro and fetis, which means to speak on behalf of someone, and it's usually used within the context of religion. Um, in the context of the people of Israel, prophecy is a divine vocation. Um, it's a calling from God. It's the word vocation comes from the Greek, from the Latin term vocare, which means to call. So to be a prophet is a call, and God personally calls individuals um, throughout history in order to serve as his representatives to his chosen people. And we see these accounts of prophetic vocation in the different books of the prophets. Like in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 6, we see um, a very specific moment in which Isaiah sees the vision of God and um, an angel touches his mouth with a coal as a sort of a symbol of his vocation to use his mouth as a um, a means to communicate God's word. You also see this in the first chapter of Jeremiah, which recounts the vocation of this prophet. And being a vocation, um, prophecy embraces the entirety of the person. The prophets communicate God's message to the people not only through what they say, not only through their words, but through their own lives. For instance, in the book of Jeremiah, we see how Jeremiah's celibacy is a symbol of the absence of God. It's... um. Even his own life is a symbol of this. Or in the book of Hosea, we see how um, he married a prostitute. And his own life is a symbol of God's fidelity for his chosen people. Because um, Israel's infidelity to God is often likened to prostitution in a way. of um, um, Seeing, desacralizing that um, the love that um, exists between God and his people. It's often described in in these terms as prostitution and basically the mission of the prophets can be summarized in three ideas first is to keep the covenant between god and israel 
which consists in being faithful to Yahweh as the only God. Last time we talked about the concept of covenant and the idea that, uh, well, the summary of what the covenant is, as um, God saying that you are my people and I am your God. And so one of the main vocation, well, the main, main, voc- the main mission of the prophets is um, to open people's eyes to this um, desire to keep that covenant with God. And second, um, to seek the conversion of hearts of the people. And finally, to announce Yahweh's saving promise of a new future. And this is the Messiah, which you also mentioned when we talked about the Pentateuch. In order to organize a bit um, the message of these 16 prophets, one good point of preference would be the exile of the people of Israel to Babylon. So you can speak of the prophets before the exile, um, the prophets during the exile, and the prophets after the exile when um, the people of Israel were allowed by the Persian king to go back to um, to their land and to rebuild their temple. Mm. The exile to Babylon under the king Nebuchadnezzar took place around the 6th century BC. And, but long before this, in around the 10th century, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom, which is called the kingdom of Judah. And in the successive centuries, the northern kingdom became more and more decadent, um, such that by the 8th century, um, with the weakness of the northern kingdom, the Assyrian army captured the northern kingdom and Judah, the southern kingdom, remained on its own. So this is just to give you a brief context of um, what we mean when we talk about the exile and and like to give you a context of um, where these prophets were moving in. So the prophets before the exile, we're talking about the years um, 800 to 700 BC, or Isaiah. Jeremiah, Amos, Hosea, Micah, Zephaniah, Nahum, and Habakkuk. Um, Amos and Hosea come from the northern kingdom, while the rest come from the southern kingdom, from Judah. And generally, the main themes among the prophets in the period before the exile are, well, first, monotheism and keeping the covenant because um, one of the most explicit ways in which this covenant was broken again and again was through the act of idolatry Mm. and this goes against the first commandment that god gave his people in sinai and this this had always been the temptation to commit idolatry has always been a challenge for israel because all of the surrounding cultures had several gods and to enter into any sort of relationship with other cultures meant in one way or another acknowledging their gods as well and this becomes even more complicated if one enters into marriage with someone from a neighboring culture because marrying someone inevitably means accepting or at least tolerating the religious beliefs of this other person. And in the midst of um, this tendency to sort of water down their monotheism, um, the prophets served as the voice of conscience, reminding the people that you are a chosen people and reminding them of the covenant that they have with Yahweh, um, whose essential part is basically monotheism. Another important aspect um, in the message of the prophets before the exile is God's fidelity 
in spite of Israel's infidelity to the covenant, prophetic literature shows God's continuing fidelity to this people. And this is shown in the promise of the future prosperity of Israel in the idea that the Lord will eventually dwell among his people. And this image that's used sometimes in the prophetic books is um, the love of a faithful husband towards his unfaithful wife. And we mentioned how this was portrayed in the, in the image of a prostitute, a faithful husband to a prostitute wife in Hosea and in Jeremiah. Mm. And even though Israel's bring the destruction upon itself, divine mercy still remains, and there is a continuing promise of a remnant of Israel that will remain. We see this, for instance, in the book of Isaiah, um, that God's fidelity to his people means that his people will continue to live on as a people, even if it's attacked by... Um, I don't know, Egyptians, Assyrians, the Babylonians, eventually the Romans. Um, but these people will remain a people, even if the other peoples will disappear, like the Babylonians. Now we don't have that empire anymore. We don't have the Egyptian empire anymore. Empires can come and go, but his people will remain throughout the years. This is an aspect of um, God's fidelity, which we see in the concept of the remnants of Israel, which is a concept that appears again and again among the prophets before the exile. Mm. And as we mentioned earlier, one aspect of the prophetic message is conversion. Um, there's a constant call for the conversion of hearts and um, like um, a lot of exhortation to action to live ethical lives to stop watering down um, their lifestyle in living their faith and um, finally one aspect that probably calls a lot of attention when you read um, the books of the prophets before the exile is um, the number of threats that you find in them like there are several verses that consist in basically threats um which are often called the oracles against the nations, referring specifically to the neighboring nations which have been trying to dominate Israel, like Babylonia, Egypt, Assyria. And at the same time, there are also oracles against Israel. And it's often interpreted as like an apocalyptic dimension of the text, um, the notion of the day of the Lord, which emphasizes God's role as judge and the idea that um, in the end, justice will reign at the end of time. Um, People can't escape from the harm that they do. So this is a very brief summary of um, the prophets before the exile. Mm. As regards the prophets of the exile, we have two of these prophets, and one is Ezekiel, and the other is Isaiah. Well, just to be clear, um, the Uteru Isaiah or Second Isaiah, because the Book of the prophet Isaiah is often divided into three different parts since they speak of different historical contexts in the life of Israel. Um, and it, it is thought that the first part, first Isaiah, which um, spans from chapters 1 to 39, um, was written in the pre-exile context. And the other parts are written in the exile in the context of exile and post-exile context. And um, there are different theories as regards um, the authorship of Isaiah. 
because of course Isaiah couldn't have lived several hundreds of years um, to see the entire span of um develop or the entire development of um the history of his people. He couldn't have lived that long, and some think that the first part, chapters one to thirty nine, was really written by Isaiah himself, while the other parts may have been written by maybe a school of Isaiah or prophets who were inspired by the figure of Isaiah, since. As I said, it's impossible that Isaiah could have lived several hundreds of years. Um, so the second part, the Utro Isaiah, covers chapters 40 to 55, and it's directed to the Jewish exiles in Babylon. Um, a central theme in the second part of that book is the consolation of Israel. In fact, the second um, part of the book of Isaiah is often called the book of the consolations. And it starts with um the verses um console console my people Israel, and it contains some um, what they call the songs of the suffering servants of the suffering servant, which is a mysterious figure of um an anointed person a person anointed by God, it's like a messianic figure who suffers for the sake of of his people, who carries the faults of his people, and ends up um suffering in the hands of his very own people but in the end he ends up being triumphant so the suffering the figure of the suffering servant has always been a mysterious figure in prophetic literature but at the same time it has always been understood from a messianic context and in fact it's from this book that jesus later on in the gospel of saint luke quotes from when he enters the synagogue and he reads from one of the scrolls that um, a, a certain passage from the book of Isaiah, which refers to the suffering servant. And he says that um, this day, um, this word has been fulfilled in me. And so he makes a direct link between himself and the suffering servant. So this is the context in which the utero Isaiah moves in, um, the context of exile, the context of God consoling his people, that even if now you're suffering in the hands of the Babylonians after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed your people, destroyed your, your country and destroyed the temple, um, better days will come, basically. And the other prophet of the exile is Ezekiel, um, who lived in that period when Israel was being destroyed by Babylon. Um, he's a member of a priestly family, and his entire family was deported by Nebuchadnezzar. And the book is usually divided into two parts. You have the first part, which is composed of threats and reproaches to Israel, whose transgressions to God's law have eventually led to the exile, and threats to the nation. And the second part has, um, well, if the first part is composed of threats, towards Israel and other nations. The second part consists in the message of hope and the future restoration of Israel. And it ends with the vision of a new temple because when Babylonian, when the Babylonians attacked Israel, they destroyed the temple and they, they destroyed the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, which was like the most sacred thing for the people of Israel. It was like a sign of the presence of God with the staff of Moses, the manna, um, from the desert, and this this disappeared during the attack of the Babylonians, and and in spite of this, um, Ezekiel in the book of Ezekiel, we hear him speaking about the hope for the future of Israel, and 
a new temple being rebuilt. And a central theme in this book is the notion of the glory of God, um, which refers primarily to the presence of God among his people. Um, Upon being deported um, from Israel, Ezekiel sees a vision of the glory of God leaving the temple. And in the last chapter, when he sees the vision of the new temple, he sees the glory of God being present again in that temple. So this is the basic message of um, the book of Ezekiel. And finally, in speaking about the prophets after the exile, there are eight prophets that are thought to have existed within the context of the post-exile period or the restoration period. When we talk about the restoration, we're referring basically to that period after the Babylonian exile, when Babylon finally fell to the Persians in the 6th century, 539 BC. And the king of the Persians, King Cyrus, decided to let the Jews go back to their land and to reconstruct the second temple, which began around 537 BC. And the message of um, these prophets after the exile in the period of restoration are, well, just to summarize, first, the restoration of the temple, which is a topic that comes up again and again, Um, and then the concept of the judgment day, or the day of the Lord. And finally, um, the theme of the conversion of Israel, which has always been a central theme in prophetic literature. So the prophets of the restoration are Third Isaiah, or Trito Isaiah, Daniel, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Abadiah, Joel, and Jonah. So let's start with 3rd Isaiah. 3rd Isaiah um, is the third part of Isaiah from chapters 56 to 66. And it's written within the context of problems in Judah when the people finally returned from exile and the land was in ruins. There was a lot of tension among the people. And here in this part, it condemns in a very specific way the idolatry and corruption among the leaders, the rulers. And it exhorts the people to remain faithful to God in spite of their difficulties. And it also reminds them a lot of God's fidelity to his promises. It emphasizes divine judgment at the end and the coming of the other nations to Israel, to Jerusalem. And so this also gives us like a hint of the universality of um, the eventual redemption that will come. That it's not just a redemption that covers the people of Israel, but it also gives light to the other nations. And... The second book, um, or the other book, that um, is supposed to have been written after the exile is the book of Daniel. Um, in fact, in Jewish tradition, Daniel is not considered to be part of the Nebim, the prophetic books, but it's part of the Ketubim, or the other writings, under the Jewish canon. Um, primarily because by the time it was completed, the books of the Nebim were already assembled. And the interesting thing about Daniel is that the manuscripts of the book change from one language to another, from Hebrew to Greek to Greek to Aramaic. And some parts of the Greek version are not present in the Hebrew. For instance, in the Song of the Three Children um, Burning in the Fire, um, Ananias, Azarias, and Misael, um, there are certain parts, I, mean, well, I think the entire part is um, in the Greek version, but it's not present in the Hebrew version, um, the song of these three. So Daniel seems to be a legendary figure. It's, it's, like a, it's like a literary device that's used in order to reflect the situation of the Jew, Jews during the exile and diaspora. 
And the central message of the book is fidelity to the covenant of the Israelites, even while being in unfavorable situations. And it also shows how God rewards his people's fidelity, and it's worthwhile to be faithful. So the stories in the book show how Daniel um, was constantly going against the grain, even when it came to the smallest details like food. And it also shows how God rewards his people and never ceases to protect them um, because of their fidelity in the same way that he protected Daniel from the lions. And at its core, the message of Daniel is a message of hope in the God of Israel, who is sovereign and whose power transcends the power of all human kings. Because Daniel lived in the context of the Babylonian courts when they were in exile. And in the light of the New Testament, um, another important aspect of this prophetic book is that it speaks of a mediator of salvation, whom he calls the Son of Man in chapter 7, verse 13. And this is often referred or connected with the figure of Jesus Christ, who calls himself the Son of Man. And sort of supports um, Christ's identity as a Messiah. And um, another interesting aspect about the book of Daniel is the ap- ap- apocalyptic visions that we find in this book, which again find a resonance in the book of Revelation in the New Testament. Another post-exile prophet is Haggai. Um, the word Haggai literally means my feast. And it's thought that Haggai, along with Zechariah, took part in the restoration of the temple and they were part of the great assembly, which was the official Jewish body in charge of the restoration of the law. And the prophet explicitly indicates the date of the text, which is 520 BC. I think this is the only prophetic book that's so explicit about the date. And it talks about the context when Judah was under the Persian Empire. And the central message of the book is that the Jewish people must put their effort in the rebuilding of the temple because it's the first step towards the rehabilitation of the nation. And with the temple comes the presence of the Lord among his people. So if the temple is rebuilt, um, everything else will come afterwards. The important thing, the center of um, life and culture is the temple. And, and another important aspect of this prophetic book is the messianic hope it gives um, in an important verse in um, chapter 2 verse 7 when he speaks of the desired of all nations shall come again um, speaking of this with the name messianic context in fact um, this um, phrase is always used in the liturgy of Advent in, in the church and um, another prophet after the restoration is Zechariah as we said like um, Haggai he participated in the rebuilding of the temple and in the Jewish institutions and he gives a series of messianic oracles which focus on the visions of the arrival of the Messiah, who is the king of Israel. Um, he's described as a shepherd who will enter Jerusalem riding on an ass. And this is precisely what um, Christ did right before he suffered his passion and death. And he also, in these oracles, he also speaks of the Messiah, someone who will be rejected by the people, but then who will eventually lead the people to conversion and who will rule the whole world from Jerusalem. So again, you have here the universal dimension of the salvation brought about by the Messiah. Um, mm, yeah, and I think another important aspect of Zechariah is that his name, Zechariah, means God remembered, which sort of emphasizes God's fidelity to his promises. And you could say that his first 
promise ever is the messianic promise in Genesis with the Protoevangelium, and that this promise lives on until until the day of Zechariah. And another post-exile prophet is Malachi, um, which means his name means my messenger. And it was written in the context when the temple had already been rebuilt. But at the same time, the people's energy, their zeal, and their enthusiasm had already waned. And the book reproaches, or the prophet reproaches the people's apathy when it comes to religious matters and the precepts of the law, especially regarding marital fidelity and the temple tithes. And in light of the New Testament, the book of Malachi is most famous for talking about the messenger of the Lord who will come before him. And this is usually interpreted as Elijah. But in the Gospel of Mark, um, Mark uses this line to make an explicit reference to John the Baptist. And in the same Gospel in Mark, Christ also affirms God that John the Baptist is, the, is Elijah, the prophet who is supposed to come before the Lord. So we have three prophets left. Um, and I'll just give, a, as I did, a brief summary of um, the message of their books. So the book of Obadiah is the shortest book of the entire Old Testament. It only contains 21 verses, and it's probably just one page in your regular Bible. And the word Obadiah means servant or worshiper of the Lord. And it deals with three main ideas. First, the punishment of Edom. Edom is like a symbol of all the nations hostile to Israel. So that's one. The second message is the coming of the day of the Lord, which is the day of judgment. And the third message is the establishment of the kingdom of, Z- of God in Zion. And um, in fact, the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the New Testament, quotes the last verse of the book of Obadiah when it says that the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And now let's move on to another prophet um, called Joel. And this was probably written at a time when the Jewish community was already organized around the priests and there was no monarchy that governed the people. And the key to the whole book is the concept of the day of the Lord. Um, The first part, chapters 1 and 2, speak of a great misfortune in Israel, like a plague. And and this comes with an exhortation to conversion and penance. And the second part talks about the outpouring of the Spirit and the day of the Lord. And that this day is described as a day of judgment, but at the same time, a day of salvation. And finally, um, another post-exile slash restoration prophet is Jonah. And in this book, the famous book that we probably heard about in um, in our childhood, um, the man who got it eaten by a whale and came out after three days, central message of the book is that God plans to restore his people because they have a mission that encompasses the whole world. Um, it's true that the book has no verifiable information about places and dates, and it seems that the author deliberately exaggerates about many things, like the whale. However, the essential idea in the book, written in, in, the, in this post-restoration context, is that salvation is possible for, in, for many upright pagans, like God's desire to convert Nineveh, which is not part of his chosen people, and yet he cares about Nineveh. Um, so it shows that God's dominion is not dominion is not just over Israel, but also over other nations. At the same time, it also reflects the narrowness of um, his very own chosen people sometimes. When, in fact, his call to conversion is not just directed to the other nations, but in the first place to them, in the same way that Jonah's mission to convert Nineveh 
is at the same time God's mission to convert the heart of Jonah. And in the light of the New Testament, Christ explicitly refers to the sign of Jonah, like in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Um, they talk about the sign of Jonah, which is eventually interpreted as referring to the resurrection of Christ, coming out of the whale after three days, in the same way that Christ resurrected on the third day. So just to wrap up what we have been talking about, what I have been talking about, um, what is the significance of these prophetic books within the entire context of God's revelation or within the totality of sacred scriptures? Well, to answer this question, I'd like to underline two main points. First is that prophecy itself as an institution has a very important role in the context of the Jewish faith and culture because the prophets served as God's mediators, the means through which God communicated himself through his people. Um, if you read the prophetic books, you'd often read the phrase, thus says the Lord. And it's primarily because um, the aim of the prophets is to communicate the message of God. And it is through the prophets that um, God reveals himself little by little to his people. And this self-revelation of God through the prophets finds its fulfillment in Christ, which is the second important point that I'd like to underline, that prophecy is important primarily because it prefigures the prefigures the person of Christ as a prophet and as the message that the prophets have always wanted to communicate. When we say that the prophets the prophets spoke of Christ, we don't just mean it in the sense of um how certain lines of Isaiah are um, found in certain lines in the Gospels, of how there are parallelisms in certain verses from the Old Testament to in the New Testament. That's true, but it's not just that. When you say that the prophets spoke of Christ, we mean that the prophets have always wanted to speak of God, have always attempted to reveal God. But this revelation um, that God communicates to his people through the message of the prophets finds its fulfillment in the figure of Christ, who is... Um, the fulfillment of the message that the prophets have always wanted to communicate. And in the sense, he is also the ultimate prophet, um, the prophet par excellence, because uh, he is the ultimate mediator in which um, humanity and divinity meet because of being human and divine at the same time and the union of the human and divine in him. And this is primarily why we value the prophetic books. So that's it for now. Um, next time, we'll be talking about... Uh, the wisdom books, and I hope that you enjoyed.